1: Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Fuel Better podcast. I am your host as always Evan Lynch. In this week's episode we've got a cracker coming for you actually. We're going to be looking at the effects of probiotics on how you as an athlete can use and burn carbohydrates during exercise. But before we get into that, just some general housekeeping and a couple of quick announcements. okay so couple of quick announcements before we get into today's episode announcement number one if you're listening to this and i'm recording this on the 27th of july at 10 p.m no less but if you're listening to this shortly after release date and you're a registered dietitian then you may want to get in touch because i am looking to bring another dietitian on board ideally someone who specializes in sports nutrition as the client list is growing and i'm only one dude so i'm actually needing to hire some people so if that's you and you think you might be interested please leave me a cv uh drop it to info at evan and let's have a quick chat other announcements i have talked a little bit about the sweat testing and hydration services available in clinic those are available now so that service is now up and running so if you are someone who constantly struggles in hot conditions you're getting gut problems you're getting the odd cramping problem or you feel that there's just performance losses that you can't really account for it may be of benefit to you to drop into the clinic we'll get you up on the bike get you sweating we'll check your sweat rate so how much sweat you lose and we'll check the sodium losses you have from that based on your goals and your weight and the the races that you're going to tend to do, we can make you a completely tailored fluid and fuel program. So there's no more guesswork. This service does not exist anywhere else in the Republic of Ireland, to my knowledge. So if you're an endurance athlete and you're sick of guessing, I would make the point of booking a consultation. Or if you want to simply get in touch and inquire, Again, email me at info at evanlynchfitnut.com or drop me a DM at elinchfitnut on Instagram. Last announcement. So I have agreed a deal with a podcast sponsor. It's not officially done and dusted yet, but it will be, I hope, the next podcast episode I release. So I'm looking forward to announcing that. So a lot of exciting things happening at the moment. There's a lot of work going to be going into this podcast in the near future. We're going to make it a real, real frequent installment as the feedback I've been getting from you guys has been very, very exceptional and very, very encouraging. So before we get into the podcast today, if you are a frequent listener and you do enjoy the show and you feel as if you derive a decent chunk of value from it, it, it would really, really mean a lot to me if you could share it, tell a friend about it, and maybe even subscribe and leave a review on Spotify so you know when the podcast is released. It's also going to tell other people this podcast is worth listening to. So if you think my messages and the information that I have to share in this podcast is important, your leaving a review will help someone else come across this information too. Okay, so as always, I think it's probably very helpful if I paint a background picture and provide some context as to why the subject matter of today's episode is actually important or at least worth knowing. So if we go back to the first line I said, and indeed the title of this podcast episode, we're clearly going to be talking about How do probiotic supplements change the way we burn or use carbohydrates during exercise? So those two might seem like they're in no way, shape or form linked, which is why I feel it's important, number one, to explain why we care in the first place about our ability to burn carbohydrates that we ingest during exercise, and then how those carbohydrates are actually absorbed and some of the factors that go into how those carbohydrates are then used to fuel the exercise that we're actually doing at that point in time. So, I suppose, first of all, just some basic exercise physiology. Let's assume that if you're listening to this podcast, that you're probably an athlete of some description or a coach or a bit of a nerd like myself. I don't care which one of the criterion you fall into i appreciate you listening anyways but anyway let's let's assume that most if not all of the people listening today are looking to race or they're looking to help people race and assuming that you're looking to derive optimal performance what we know about carbohydrate usage is that the harder someone is working aerobically the more they rely on carbohydrates as a fuel source. So the analogy I would use with people is imagine exercise intensity is depicted as a ladder and the higher you climb up that ladder, the higher the intensity of the workload you're doing becomes, the more you rely on carbohydrates. So what we say, I suppose, in a clinical or scientific lingo is that exercise becomes increasingly glycolytic the harder it becomes so that's good to know that a sprinter will use a lot more carbohydrates for their event compared i suppose in ratio to a marathon runner who will use an awful lot more fat now it's not it's not as clear-cut as that and it's not the case that unless you're a power athlete you know you you need to be working on your fat oxidation all the time that's not strictly true I'll, I'll touch on that in a couple of minutes so assume that if your plan is to perform optimally on any given day you will need to be able to ingest tolerate absorb and use carbohydrates very effectively in order to achieve that goal so you know i, I can hear some maybe critical thinkers there are talking about or thinking about fat adaptation and fat oxidation the idea of becoming fat adapted it's it's not thought to be an excellent idea in the the scientific community there is some merit to it I mean there is a little bit of logic to be fair if you get very very good at using fat won't that bode well on race day you'll never hit the wall you would think so but what we see is that people who do a lot of high fat diets or they they go on ketogenic diets to promote fat oxidation become insulin resistant in as little as a week so if if one of the approaches is i'm going to avoid carbohydrates so they're extra potent on uh, race day. some people do that with caffeine as well to horrifyingly detrimental outcomes but if that's your thought pattern, that doesn't actually work. That's It's been shown to be quite the opposite. You just simply cannot use the carbohydrates you're ingesting. And it, uh, it creates a little bit of a problem uh, in terms of performance then. So that's not the ideal approach. Secondary to that, I mean, you can do some faster training. You can do glycogen depletion sessions. But it's not a panacea to performance. And it's not absolutely required for you to improve as an athlete metabolic flexibility is a term you will probably hear or have heard or will probably google now if you haven't basically it refers to your ability and your capacity to switch between both fats and carbohydrates as a fuel source and it is true and it can be tested via vo2 and lactate testing which by the way a colleague of mine will be Offering in Clonmel in the coming weeks and months. So eyes out for that. Quick plug there for Kieran Burke. Um, Anyways, back on point. it, It can happen that you can become overly reliant on carbohydrates. And that your capacity to use fat is not great. And where that can be a bit of a problem. Let's say you're one of the professional cyclists I'm working with. Or one of the Ironman guys I'm working with and you're six hours into a race and you've run out of bottles and the support car is stuck behind a crash five kilometers down the road behind you and you're starting to eat into your glycogen and now you're getting tired much quicker than you need to and maybe you even get a muscle cramp because you're not used to using fat as a fuel source and you just start cranking out lactate. That's one hypothetical problem. Second would be take an Ironman or half Ironman athlete this happened recently, actually, not exactly this, but similar, where the athlete was actually sick, had something like a gut bug, wasn't really able to take on the fuel that we had practiced week in, week out in the long brick sessions. And in a scenario like that, if you don't have excellent metabolic flexibility, you're snookered, more or less. But that that doesn't necessarily mean you need to do all your training fasted or that there needs to be times of the year where you're where you're training low i suppose and living high so to speak you can incorporate easy fasted stuff into your sessions by doing delayed feeding you can do some low intensity fasted aerobic work if you're a really elite athlete and you have a good team around you you can do glycogen depletion but it's not the the only thing you need to to be worried about it's not it's not going to all by itself be the catalyst in your career. It is one of many tools in our nutritional belt, so to speak. Anyways, back on track. The point is that at most intensities in exercise, you're going to be using a combination of fats and carbohydrates to fuel the work you are doing. The harder you are working, the more carbohydrates you are using. Though that is modifiable and trainable to a degree, Generally speaking, the fitter you are, the less carbohydrates you require at any given intensity. And that capacity to spare glycogen is a superbly smooth and actually unplanned segue onto my next point. We have a bit of a supply problem in that if we're always going to be using fats and carbohydrates to varying degrees depending on on how hard we're working... We probably need to do a little bit of stock controller, take stock of the situation. So most people have somewhere between four and five hundred grams of glycogen in their body, and that's typically thought to be enough to last for around 100 minutes of steady state stuff. Though if you do a you know a time trial full tilt, you can empty your glycogen tank in 40 to 50 minutes. That is possible. But for marathons, sportives, triathlons, etc. You're probably getting a hundred minutes out of that glycogen tank. And even if you become fat adapted, as your glycogen tank drops, rate of perceived exertion will increase, your your central drive will decrease, you'll be more likely to cramp. There's just a whole bunch of reasons that you want to keep your glycogen spared. So if we if we look at that, then you know, the glycogen sparing effect, how can we achieve that? Well, the first thing is training frequently at low intensities and being aerobically fit. That's probably the most important thing. The second part of glycogen sparing would be to do a carb load in advance. So you have literally more carbohydrates there. So there's more to spare. So it'll basically last longer. Think of it like putting money in the bank race day is where you spend it all. There are some supplementation strategies, you know, the, the likes of coffee or caffeine can have a glycogen sparing effect. Beta juice might indirectly have a glycogen sparing effect in that it can decrease the energy cost, so to speak, of a muscle contraction. So that's pretty useful to know. But then if we look at how are we primarily offsetting reductions in our glycogen stores? Think about it. The carbohydrates that you take on board during exercise, there's literally a whole industry built around this energy gels, sports drinks, chews, gummies, bake bars, all those types of things. The carbohydrates you take on board during exercise, plus the carb loading you do in advance of exercise, are the two key nutritional strategies that you can employ. To make sure you don't run out of glycogen or bonk So there are various carbohydrate targets. You'll you'll get away with 60 to 75 grams per hour for a marathon on average. For any half iron man person I'm working with, you'd probably want to be 75 to 90 minimum. Any Iron Man guys or higher level half Iron Man guys, 90 to 120 grams. That's just that's where the money is at, to be perfectly honest. Recent research has shown that. You know, there it's challenging. I suppose the perceptions that we once had about carbohydrate absorption in the gut, how that actually works, how much we can use, and the benefits of increasing the carbohydrate intake during exercise. So that, to be honest, that's a whole other uh, topic for an episode. That's not what I'm going to get into today. I'm going to get back on track. So carbohydrate intake is the key thing that we're going to focus on right now and if we go back to our intensity ladder and we look at the fact that we're always using a combination of fat and carbs to fuel the work we're doing well I want to zoom in just a fraction more on that at the carbohydrates we're using and where are they coming from so if you if you look at an athlete who is consuming carbohydrates during exercise and they've actually studied this with isotope tracer studies and it's really interesting it's not the case that if you take a sports drink that you only use that sports drink to fuel you and you don't touch any of your liver or muscle glycogen and you don't burn any fat that's not true you just slightly de- decrease the amounts of all those items that you you burn to fuel the work you're doing so just just to clarify it's not one or the other it's not glycogen either muscle or liver glycogen or the stuff you're eating and drinking while you're running or on the bike or swimming or hiking it's both so wouldn't it be great if there were ways that you know you could preferably, or I suppose, coax your body into relying a little bit more on the products that you're eating and drinking. So let's say for argument's sake, and this is these numbers are not accurate. Let's say you have a sports drink. There's 30 grams in it. And you drink that over the space of an hour on the bike. You might only use half of that. To be honest for you know oxidation right there and then or if you have if you have a 10 gram mouthful of that you might you mightn't absorb it all and you won't use it all totally for carbohydrate oxidation that will be used in combination with some liver glycogen and some muscle glycogen now it does slow down how quickly you run through your glycogen you slow down the rate of usage so it does have a sparing effect and it can and does slow down that rate of glycogen depletion. So it is a very, very useful tactic, and it's, it's one of those ones that has stood the test of time. Consume carbohydrates during exercise to avoid hitting the wall. But let's then look at where probiotics actually fit into this puzzle, and this is actually phenomenally interesting. So some of the research, and it was done by Pew al Jamie Pugh, he's a kind of a leading researcher on the topic of gut health for athletes, probiotics, gastrointestinal distress. It's a personal interest area of mine, so I just follow the research he does. But I just happened to read one of his papers this morning, and I thought this would be an interesting podcast episode. Anyways, Pugh-Al got athletes drink a 10% maltodextrin solution, So maltodextrin is a glucose polymer. It's it's very well tolerated, non-fermentable. Anyone who finds sports products hard, you are probably better off looking for something like a maltodextrin or dextrose powder because they're quite, quite low in terms of their osmolarity, meaning they're less likely to cause gut distress. Anyways, these products were used during exercise and When you consume maltodextrin in a drink format, you empty it out of your gut at a pretty sharp rate and in your intestinal tract, you absorb it through something called an SGLT1 transporter, sodium glucose transporter. So the 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 clue is in the name there as to where sports drinks get their formulation, sodium, salt, glucose, sugar, and then some water, so there's water attached to carbohydrate molecules. So isotonic sports drinks are based on the premise that the presence of all three of those items results in superior fluid and fuel absorption, which it does, but that's not the point. So you then absorb that glucose or that sugar, it's broken down into a usable format into glucose or something close to it. And that's broken down into energy to fuel the work you're doing, basically. So if we look at that pathway mouth to stomach to intestines to SGLT1 to blood probiotics fit in here in a multitude of ways. Number one during exercise your gut loses a lot of its function due to I suppose working muscles requiring blood for oxygen and glucose and also Your body tries to keep itself cool, so exercise creates heat from kinetic energy. We don't necessarily like to be hot, so our body rushes blood to the surface of our skins to keep us cool. Both of these mechanisms basically result in our guts having less blood supply, which reduces functionality, and there can be some thermal damage as well. So there's a lot of research outlining the fact that in endurance athletes in particular. There are measures of intestinal wall damage, inflammation and gut permeability. So if you zoomed in on your intestinal tract during exercise, the cells might slightly come apart. There is a little bit of inflammation happening. There's a little bit of damage happening. Um, there is a condition known as uh, exercise induced ischemic gut colitis. Um, I don't know if that's the exact wording, but basically very bad pain in your colon area due to exercise and the corresponding loss of blood supply resulting in reduced function and the issues that that causes as a result. So probiotics can fit in here. They can reduce the damage, number one, to a degree that's experienced. So probiotics will adhere to the intestinal wall and they'll actually alter how cell signaling is done in relation to the adhesion capacity of pathogenic bacteria first of all so endotoxemia was taught to be one of the causes of the gut issues so that's pathogenic gut bacteria sneaking in through the cracks that open up in your gut wall into your blood making you sick probiotics can prevent that and then the probiotics can also minimize gut permeability and slightly decrease the markers that you can test for for intestinal damage. I started with that point because it's important probiotics can protect your intestinal tract during exercise and in a sense that can help maintain some of the functionality so that if you are consuming carbohydrates your intestinal tract is not effectively out of order and it can use them a little bit better nice side note here the act of carbohydrate feeding all by itself can promote good blood flow to your intestinal wall because you actually need blood supply there for the active absorption so it it can keep gut function as well in in check and funnily enough I suppose it's a bit of a side tangent again doing a lot of these today clinical settings in let's say something like an ICU where someone is unconscious for a long time let's say they're getting parenteral nutrition to keep them going or they're getting fed by a tube trophic feeding or very very low rate feeding of carbohydrates or a formula in general into someone's gut can actually prevent things like sepsis and multiple organ failure um so your gut is really really important anyways back on track so we have established that probiotics can minimize some of the damage that happens to our guts during exercise and helps our gut maintain some of the functionality. Cool fact, the SGLT1 transporter that I mentioned that can absorb for most people around 60 grams per hour of a glucose monomer like maltodextrin or dextrose or just glucose itself. But some research has shown that the presence of certain types of probiotic strains if I'm not mistaken it is specifically acidophilus strains it's been shown to increase the abundance and the activity of those SGLT1 transporters so that actually might enhance our capacity to absorb those carbohydrates from our intestinal tract which may have an influence on our ability to oxidize them. So it's often thought that the limiting rate or the step in the pathway that dictates how much carbohydrates can we actually use is our ability to absorb it in our gut. So probiotics have actually been shown to modulate this and in the research paper I read this morning, I'm not quoting it now, but I I remember roughly, there was about a 10% difference in terms of grams per minute that were oxidized um from the drink in the control group and the intervention group so literally what what they displayed and it's the first time that it's ever been shown the use of the probiotic alone increased and it was around 10% of a difference and it was statistically significant I'm, I'm not quoting it it's just that's roughly what I recall it being I think it was something like 0.77 versus 0.84 grams per minute but that difference is actually very significant 10% that's that's not nothing so for something as simple as probiotic supplementation and it was a specific probiotic Um, It was a high-strength multi-strain probiotic with around 25 billion CFU in it. There were two types of um, lactobacilli acidophilus. There was a bifidobacterium uh, strain or two in it as well. The exact name of the supplement was Proven Probiotics. They're high-strength multi-strain. So if, if you were looking for it, if you were looking for this adaptation that is you might try and seek that probiotic out. That's what they used for four weeks in their trial and it it had that effect. What was also shown in this paper, or at least they spoke about it in the paper, was that probiotics can alter the insulin responses and the blood glucose responses and the levels of circulating free fatty acids when they're used. And what was shown in the paper was the probiotic group had slightly lower levels of circulating free fatty acids. They had a slight suppression in muscle and liver glycogen, and they had that increase in the, I suppose, the ingested carbohydrate to fuel the work that was being done. And I, I just thought it was interesting, and I suppose not relevant necessarily for an endurance athlete, but probiotics seem to enhance our body's capacity to maintain and stabilize blood sugar and it seemed to have an effect on the liver which you might think of as a glucose stat so it tries to keep our blood glucose a little bit steadier it seems to enhance or ameliorate its ability to do that so if you're if you're someone who might struggle with bonking problems or you're looking to get a bit of an edge on your fueling tactics The probiotic might be a very helpful thing to do. Of course, you need to train consistently. You need to, I suppose, practice your tactics day in, day out. There's an element of training the gut here as well. So like practically speaking, let's say you're doing a marathon and you're consuming 20 grams of carbohydrates an hour, even with the probiotic, improving your usage of that, that's probably not going to be enough. So it's important first and foremost that you're consuming enough and able to tolerate that and then making sure you're actually getting the most out of it, making sure you're fit, making sure you've got the other boxes ticked as well, like your electrolyte practices, your fluid intake strategies and that all those boxes are nice and nailed off ever before race day comes. This is just an interesting, I suppose, string on your bow that you can easily use. And Probiotics have a bunch of other health effects as well, which is really outside of the scope of today's talk but i can do an episode on that if you wish so i suppose to summarize a probiotic for one month can improve how you use the carbohydrates from the carb products you use during training by a significant amount and that in turn can have a seriously impactful um change on how long your glycogen tank lasts and how well you maintain blood sugar stability which may have an influence on the outcome of endurance events it could influence day-to-day training and how long it takes you to recover if your blood sugar is more stable in general that's great and if you're a power athlete it's probably good to have better insulin responses to the exercise you're doing and to be able to have slightly smaller glycogen deficits that's a bit more anabolic one might say. so this is this is certainly something that I'm going to be using with any endurance athletes I'm working with for the most part because there's no harm to it. this is only one of those things that can be net positive. so that's all for today guys I hope you found this episode interesting. again, as always if you did, please, share the episode, tell a friend about it and leave me a review. It'll help this podcast grow and help other people get their hands on this juicy science information. Until next week guys, thank you very very much and if you do have any podcast requests please get in touch. I do take them on board. There are some really interesting episodes coming up in the coming weeks. So stay tuned and thanks again for listening.